Sidewalk Audio presents Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan, read by the author. Chapter 10, The Dahi. I jumped to my left just in time to stop from being pierced. Hey, let's talk about this. I'm not here to talk, the old guy said. If I were you, I would draw my sword, or duck. He came at me with a high backhand cut to the head. Not only did I duck, I hit the floor and rolled to my left. I quickly got back to my feet in a crouch. The roll was good, my attacker informed me. But the position is not. I took a quick glance around me and saw what he meant. I had boxed myself into a corner. Since you like to talk so much, the old man said, I will tell you one more thing. I am going to come at you with a forehand mid-cut. It will be too low to duck and too high to jump. The only defense is to draw and parry, or run, and bleed. It only took a microsecond to realize he was right. He cocked his sword way back, and then he came at me with both blade and body. I drew my sword, deflected the attack with a low parry, and retreated to the middle of the room. Our chatting phase was obviously over. He instantly attacked me with a series of sweeping and powerful cuts, alternating high and low. I blocked and backpedaled. To be honest, I was terrified. For as long as I could remember, my father trained me in sword fighting. I had also won a few local fencing tournaments, but this was the real thing. The swords were steel and the points were sharp. One sloppy parry and I was dead. Then my father's words came back to me. In a real sword fight, son, all thoughts of winning and losing must be suppressed. Keep one eye on his eyes, the other on his blade. Be aware of your surroundings. Block and counter until your opponent tires. I used to laugh at him when he said stuff like that. When will I ever be in a sword fight, I'd say. Or for that matter, when were you ever in a real sword fight? I take it all back now, Pop. If I live through this, I forced my father's advice into my head, and the fight attained a rhythm. In fact, it became familiar. This old guy's forearm attack was very similar to my father's favorite assault. My father would start a major attack with a flurry of forearm cuts, then change into a reverse grip, like he was holding an ice pick, then follow through with an elbow to the chin. He called the move a dahi special. Sure enough, that's exactly what this guy did. I knew from experience that the sword in this maneuver was less dangerous than the elbow. I parried the sword hard, forcing his arm to straighten, and then ducked the elbow. I sent the guy off balance, and then started a counterattack of my own. I came at him with a series of low cuts. I like swinging up. It's unsettling for an opponent. It leaves my face exposed, but I'm pretty good at bobbing and weaving. The sword felt good in my hand, like an extension of my arm. The old guy parried the cuts with grace, but I could see I had him working. He parried the last cut and countered with a high downward thrust that caught me by surprise. By the time I blocked it, I was down on one knee. We locked swords, pummel to pummel. 
I racked my brains for means of escaping. I knew that as soon as our swords disengaged, I was very vulnerable. The sweat was streaming into my eyes, and my arm was starting to shake. I couldn't keep this up for much longer. That's enough, came a shout from the door. The old man pulled back, and Jared entered the room. I dropped my guard, sat on my feet, and breathed a huge sigh of relief. How is he? Jared asked. Not bad, the old guy said. His left side is weak, but his footwork is good. Nothing that cannot be fixed. Wait a minute, I said. This was a test? It was indeed, Jared said. I wanted to make sure if I was going to risk my best guide that you could at least take care of yourself. Dahi here is my master-at-arms. Dahi? You taught my father. Yes, I did. And may I say, my student taught you well, but not well enough. He addressed Jared. In two days I can get him to minimum preparedness. Connor, you are under Dahi's tutelage now. Work hard. You shall leave for the Feely Lands in three days' time, Jared said, and left us alone. Now, Connor, Dahi said, with a gleam in his eye that I wasn't sure I liked, we begin. <laughs> The next two days were the hardest of my life. Dahi drilled me like an SAS sergeant gone berserk. We worked on sword play, archery, and bantastic fighting. My biggest difficulty was my left hand. I always fought with my non-sword hand empty, but Dahi taught me a method of using the sword in my right hand and a bantastic in my left. It made my head spin and my muscles scream. Luckily, I found a supply of willow tea that helped me make it through the days and some pachin to help me make it through the nights. At mealtimes, I met a handful of people who had still not gone home from the party. Discussions of politics were outlawed in the castle, but when Jared was out of earshot, I learned that my uncle Kilty was universally hated. It seemed that Castle Dor sat on the land's only gold mine. My grandfather, Finn, used to allocate a stipend of gold to each of the lords. The gold was used to fuel necessary magic. As of late, Kilty had refused gold to most of the families and cut back considerably to the rest. The question was, what was he doing with all that gold? No one seemed to know. I only saw Essa twice. Once I caught her watching Dahi and me from the viewing box above the armory. I looked up and smiled. Dahi hit me painfully in the shoulder with a stick. By the time I looked back, she was gone. The second time was at lunch on my second day of training. I spotted her at a table and sat down next to her. She immediately stood up to leave. I grabbed her wrist so I could talk to her. Big mistake. The next thing I knew, I was face down in my lunch with my arm twisted painfully at my back and her forearm pushing my head into a bowl of salad. Don't ever grab me again, she hissed in my ear. What is your major malfunction? I sputtered. She pulled my head back by the hair. 
What did you say? I wasn't sure if she hadn't understood the phrase or if the face full of greens had screwed up my diction, so I rephrased. What have I done to make you act like this? She put her mouth close to my ear and whispered, I know who you are. Who told? My father. Oh, man, he's telling everybody. Just me and Dahi. So let me guess, I said, wincing from the pressure that was still on my arm. Unlike your father, you're a prophecy fan and you want me dead. That's right. Well, then, go ahead. My father has forbidden it. Then let me go. She let go and walked away. I picked a bit of lettuce out of my nose with as much dignity as I could muster. Oh, yeah? I called after her. Well, that tunic makes your bum look big. It was a stupid thing to say. She didn't look back, but it did make her stop for a second before she continued off. The afternoon light was disappearing on my second day of training when I received a message to meet Jared in his library. Before I left, Dahi said, I have a gift for you. He handed me a banta stick with copper bark and a pale knob. Do you recognize the wood? he asked. I don't. It's too light for oak. It's hazelwood, he replied. Light enough to be used for walking, but strong enough for a fight. It was given to me by your grandfather, Liam. I want you to have it. I looked at the lacquered finish. It almost looked like the skin of a snake. Did you know him? My grandfather? Yes. Yes. He was a good and wise man. He chuckled to himself. He was also stubborn and careless. For ages, I tried to get him to set up a garrison in the Hazel Lands, but he would not hear of it. The house of the tree of knowledge is a place of learning, not war, he would say. Well, I was right, but there's no comfort in that, he sighed. I know he would have wanted you to have the stick. Go now, Connor. Jared is waiting. Thank you, Master Dahi, I said. And I bowed my lowest ever bow. I was surprised to find Fergal in a raft sitting with Jared in the library. I had not seen Fergal since he had woken me up with a backhand. I'd seen a raff around, but as usual, we didn't gossip much. Sit down, Connor, Jared said. I did, and almost disappeared into an overstuffed chair. It seems that the fates have thrown you and Fergal together. Not only did you meet by chance on the road, but your future paths also seemed to be linked. Fergal here would also like to meet Deirdre. Why? I said, a little shocked. Jared replied for him. Fergal's motivations are his own, as are yours. I know why both of you seek an audience with Deirdre, and I can assure each of you that the other's reasons are noble. 
If you wish to tell the other, that is up to you. For now, I need to ask you, Connor, will you accept Fergal as your traveling companion? It didn't take long for me to decide. As long as he promises not to stab me, or hit me with sticks, or steal my shoes, or sleep with me, then I'm fine. Fergal's smile matched my own. He stood up, and then seeing me struggle helped me out of my chair. We shook on it with both hands, and then he slapped me on the back. And you have to stop slapping me on the back. Okay, he said, and then did it again. Araf has agreed to accompany you, Jared said. As our guide? No, Araf does not know the Eastlands. I'm having difficulty procuring you the proper guide, but I will. You will leave the day after tomorrow. How will we travel? I asked. I will provide horses, Jared said. Uh, I can't ride. What? Fergal and Jared said in unison. It's, it's not my fault. They didn't have horses in where I grew up. Right, Jared said. You have a day to learn to ride. Araf, will you teach him? Araf nodded. I looked at Araf. You know, in order to teach me, you might actually have to speak. Are you prepared for that? Araf gave me one of his hallmarked blank stares. This calls for a special toast. Jared climbed the ladder to the top of his wine rack and found a bottle. He blew the dust off and placed it in a gold bucket. As he went to the cabinet to get glasses, the cork slowly rose out of the bottle by itself. He poured us each a glass of blood-red wine. This is a very special vintage. I pressed these grapes when Essa's mother was pregnant with her. I have saved most of it for her wedding, but I steal a bottle now and again for special occasions. Jared raised his glass. To your success and a safe journey. We drank. Man, it was good. Even if Essa looked like Porky Pig, I would have considered marrying her, just so I could have another glass of that wine. As things stood, she wouldn't even talk to me, so I guess marriage was a long shot. That night, I dreamt that Sally and Essa had a banta fight. They kept looking at me, wanting me to root for one or the other. The problem was, I couldn't decide who I wanted to win. It finally made both girls so mad that they stopped fighting each other and came at me. I was shaken awake in the darkness. When my eyes adjusted, I saw it was Essa. I was just dreaming about you. Get up, she said. We have to go. We go? Where? We leave for the feely lands. Now. Are you coming with us? I asked. I'm your guide. Cool, but I thought we were leaving tomorrow. Change of plans, Essa said. We leave now. Why? Because Kialti and his banshee witch are on the way. They will be here for breakfast. That popped me wide awake and out of bed. I threw on some clothes. Does he know I'm here? I'll go and ask him, shall I? 
Hey, unnecessary sarcasm. I hope you're not going to be this mean to me the entire trip. We'll see. I grabbed my sword and hazel stick. Seriously, do you have any idea what Kelty is doing here? I think he is coming to see me, Essa said. Why you? Rumor has it he's going to ask me to be his bride. Yuck, I said. We got to get out of here. You have been listening to Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. To hear more of their fabulous music, please visit their website, www.lunasa.ie. That's www.lunasa.ie. For more information about Shadow Magic or its author, please visit www.shadowmagic.co.uk Thank you very much for listening.